Hey ghouls and gals, thanks for tuning in. I'm Cat Commander and I just wanted to throw out a little appreciation for those of you that actually do tune in and take time out of your day to listen to me and listen to some spooky stories and true crime. Um, I do have another mystery for you today, so let's jump right in. Today, we're encountering evil at mile marker 181. November 19th, 2011, started like any typical Saturday for Julia Davis. She arranged to hang out with some friends and left her home at approximately 5 p.m. to meet her new friend, Kristen Bechtold, for the evening. Reportedly, they were joined by a few other friends that Julia didn't really know. Their names are Jordan Campbell, Freddie Scott, and Katie Nelson. Her family described her as shy, but confident and popular among her friends. She was pursuing a career in cosmetology while working in retail, and like any hardworking person, she wanted to go out. What was supposed to be a night of fun would soon end in death and many questions. The night began at Brian Sapp's house. He had a bit of a house party, but later they made their way to a bar in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Julia had traveled from Marietta, Ohio, which is about a 21 minute drive away. She was really close with her mother, Kim, and her sister, Tabby, and like usual, they kept in touch while she was out. She sent a text to her mom around 9 p.m. and her mom told her, you know, the typical mom thing, be good and I love you. Everything seemed to be going fine. Then around 3.28 a.m., Tabby gets a call from her sister asking if she could pick her up from a BP gas station. At the time of this call, Julia was calm and maybe a little bit annoyed, but her sister figured it was no big deal. Just when Toby was going to leave around 3.33 a.m., she gets a second call from Julia asking if she could change her pickup location to a rest stop off I-77 near the border of West Virginia. Finally, a third call comes in at 3.36 a.m. However, this time, Julia is hysterically crying and screaming at Kristen, calling her a bad friend and begging her sister to hurry up and get her. It's about a 10 minute drive. So right here, the alarm bells in my head are fucking ringing. I would be absolutely horrified if my sister called me in another state with people that she doesn't really know, crying, screaming, and begging me to hurry up. And of course, Toby is afraid and here's how upset Julia is. She asks, what the hell happened? And Julia responds, I'll let you know when you pick me up. At 3.48 a.m. near mile marker 181, a 911 call is made by a trucker saying there's someone lying on the side of the road. The police arrive and the scene is absolutely horrifying. Just as the police arrive to the scene, Toby and her friend are driving by. Police are obviously stopping traffic, and Toby is told that there's an African-American woman's body found on the side of the highway. It was Jalea. And they said she had been in some kind of car accident. But y'all, listen to these injuries caused by this alleged car accident. So she had been decapitated. She was naked from the waist up. She was missing her right breast. And one of her legs was broken in half. And her car was found about a fifth of a mile away, still running, 
and the doors were locked, the headlights were on. And get this, her clothes were neatly hanging on the guardrail with her bra being first, then her shirt, and her jacket placed on top. What fucking car accident does that? Also, there are no other cars involved in this accident. Her body was so dismantled, her mother didn't even think it was hurt under the sheets, describing it as rather a mound than an actual body. So obviously, her family isn't buying this, and Julia's grandfather went back to take pictures and investigate. While Talby calls her friends, Kristen insisted she had no idea what happened to Julia that night. The police, of course, went to question the people that were with her the night that she died. Authorities show up to Kristen's home, but Kristen's father answered the door, saying she didn't feel like talking and she was getting a lawyer. Ding, 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 another fucking red flag. Why would you not want to help figure out what happened to your so-called friend? And Julia's family thinks that's very strange as well. Kristen was also the only person of the group to obtain a lawyer in just 12 hours after Julia died. A few days later, Kristen does come to give a statement and she said that after the bar, her and her friends took Julia back to her car, claiming that Julia was heavily intoxicated and saying that she drank an entire bottle of vodka by herself. And after drinking that bottle of vodka, they then went to the bar and just for some context, Julia weighs about 115 pounds. If she had in fact drank an entire, entire bottle of vodka by herself, she would have been falling down. She would have been puking your brains out. She would have been unconscious. And so when she tells police that, the police theorize that Julia got into her car drunk and possibly crashed into the guardrail, then somehow got out and was run over by her own car. I don't know what kind of fucking scary movie shit that is, but no. Her family wasn't going for that either. And that also doesn't explain the panic calls she made to her sister multiple times. And they also noticed that Julia's favorite keychain was missing. And the keychain was important to her because her sister Toby had given it to her for her birthday and Toby and Julia were best friends. In February of 2012, a woman comes forward with information that she saw Julia get into a fight with her friends at the bar. She then watched Julia get into her car and saw her being run off the road by those same friends, which is starting to sound more plausible, right? It turns out it was all a lie. The woman was arrested and convicted, but I never understand why people do such fucked up things like this. Like what do you get out of torturing a grieving fucking family? Now, in March of 2013, the autopsy report is in and the results are wild. They concluded that this was a single car accident due to driving under the influence. Julia's blood alcohol level was 0.19, which is double the legal limit. And listen to this. This is from the sheriff's department. They theorized that she hits the guardrail on the right front light and is ejected out the front passenger window. 
So she doesn't go through the windshield. She allegedly goes through the right passenger window. And there was no fiber, no clothing, no blood, not even hair through this window that she allegedly broke through and flew out of. She was then, allegedly, dragged alongside the guardrail where her clothing is ripped from her upper body. Finally, she was run over by a tractor trailer. But they also said her body hit the guardrail. Once her body hit the guardrail, she flew over the top of her car. So she goes out the right side window and instead of flipping over the guardrail and maybe downhill, she goes outside her passenger window and then flies over the top of her car. Then they say her body spun while on top of the car before finally her body flies into the road. But there isn't any blood on the roof of the car. The blood is in the back bumper near the trunk. And I'll post pictures of the car. Her car is then found, as we know, a quarter mile uphill from her body. And where her body was to where her car was, there were acceleration tire marks left. But if Julia was alone and flew out of the car, how did the car accelerate if no one was driving it, especially going uphill? And this doesn't explain how her clothing was neatly hung on the guardrail. Because again, it was her bra first, her shirt, and her jacket. And if this happened the way they said it did, and she did indeed fly out the right passenger side of the car, the first thing that would fly off of her would be her coat, then her shirt, and then possibly her bra, but it's in the reverse order. The friends claim they were nowhere near the accident. And at 3.32 a.m., there is surveillance footage of one of the male friends going to McDonald's six miles away from the crime scene. And he has two passengers. He, the driver, is clearly seen, but the other two aren't visible or identifiable. Kristen and Katie say it's them. One of the women claims they heard Jalea on the phone with her sister at 3.33 a.m., right before the third call was made. But she also said she was at the McDonald's drive-thru with other friends at 3.32 a.m., again, six miles away. So which one is it? And none of the people involved, none of their phones were checked. And remember the missing keychain I mentioned earlier? Kristen is caught with the fucking keychain, but she says Jalea gave it to her. But why would Jalea give a friend she knew for about three months a very special keychain that her sister gave to her as a gift? So with all these inconsistencies and Kristen literally having evidence, we're wondering, how the fuck is this happening? How is more not being done? Well, you knew this was coming. Kristen, Katie, and Freddie were the children of current or former Parkersburg police.
And then Freddie Scott made some disgusting posts mocking Julia's family. However, Julia's family says they won't give up until they have answers and justice for their daughter. If you like more information or like to donate to Julia, go to Facebook and type in Justice for Julia. That's J-A-L-E-A-Y-A-H. That's going to do it. But tell us what you think. Was this a tragic accident or a grand cover-up? If you like what you hear, give us a follow at encountering underscore evil on Instagram. Stay tuned. And don't forget to look behind you.